and welcome back to my podcast, iLoop. I am so sorry I have been AWOL for several months and I thank you so much for coming back and listening to this latest episode, which is my conversation with Sanjay Anandram. Sanjay's impressive bio has as many acronyms as there are achievements and I'm not going to read it all out here for you. You can always find out more about him if you Google him or you look for him on LinkedIn. Suffice to say, he has over 30 years experience as an entrepreneur, investor, corporate executive, teacher, board member and mentor. And he continues to be involved in startups and technology investment funds, both in the public and private sector. I've known Sanjay for over 30 years from our time together at business school in India. He is one of the most well-read and informed people I know. He is highly regarded for his experience and views on entrepreneurship and innovation and his ability to be ruthlessly honest in his capacity as mentor to startups, established companies and industry bodies. He jokingly describes himself as not just a mentor, but a tormentor. He is co-founder of NICE, a not-for-profit organization that nurtures, mentors and promotes cultural enterprises in India. He firmly believes that it is not enough to protect and preserve our culture, but if it is to thrive, it needs to be nourished and promoted so that it stays relevant. In this conversation, I began by asking him about the turning point in his life that brought him to where he is now. He talked about battling self-doubt as a young man and the coping strategies that have helped him deal with the challenges in his life. I also asked him about his views on women in the workplace and in particular his experience of working with female entrepreneurs. And we finished off by talking about how he is using his business experience to make a difference in the cultural arena in India. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, there have been several turning points uh, in my life, but uh, let me pick one that I think had the most material impact on the way I thought of my own journey. Mm-hmm. I was on this flight uh, from London to San Francisco and I was catching up on some, you know, I guess in hindsight, boring reading in The Economist. And I came across this ad, this advertisement in the magazine. And it said, uh, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And that forced me, and that was an ad for Emirates Airlines. Uh, clearly, the copywriter didn't quite imagine that it would have the kind of effect that it did on me because it made me reflect, it made me ruminate over my own journey um, you know, and all the things I've done, the things I had wanted to do, um, and what really got my juices flowing. Uh, so it made me deep dive into myself. And um, and then I think that whole uh, rest of the flight, I kept uh, thinking about this, and that spurred a chain of events that led to my redesigning, recalibrating my next phase of my life. Um, And that was, I think, therefore, a very important turning point. 
And what it did was, you know, I was kind of, if I could phrase it as such, following a fairly standard scripted life. And, uh, you know, that, but that uh, rumination and reflection made me realize that there is a whole bunch of things that get me excited, that make me passionate, that uh, make me want to invest hours of my time and my energy in pursuing them. And these included a host of areas, a host of areas, right? And what it made me realize that I'm not somebody who can, is very good with monotony. Mm -hmm. Meaning to come to office, do the same thing over and over again. And, you know, so I'm not somebody who's focused on efficiency. I'm focused more on productivity. And um, if uh, I can say, I mean, phrase it as intellectual stimulation. Meaning I have to believe that I'm learning something, um, that I'm able to contribute to something more meaningful than my immediate self and surroundings. And so that kind of made me do a host of things around multiple dimensions. For example, that's how I got into teaching. Uh, because what really got me going, I realized, was the thrill, the excitement of ideation and experimentation and trying out stuff that didn't have obvious answers. Mm. And, um, and to me, you know, dealing with very smart people with new ideas, which didn't have any logic to them at first blush, but which if the ideas worked, could have a profound transformational impact. Um, you know, so which meant entrepreneurship, which meant innovation, which meant, and this is not just related to business. This is about life in general and using these principles, be they in politics, be they in society, be they in culture, be they in technology, doesn't matter. And therefore I'd said, you know, what can I do to impact all of this? So there was teaching. And I felt that I could impact the thinking of lots of students, get them to pursue entrepreneurship and not be afraid of asking the question, why or why not, right? And not operate on a loss minimization mindset, but work towards a profit maximization mindset. Meaning while the probability of failure is 99%, is the payoff from that 1% sufficiently large for you to take the risk? Yeah. Can I right. just pause, can I just maybe pause you there sure. for a second? So now you and I have known each other for what 33 years, I think. You know, we yes. we've known each other since business school. And I would say that from what I know of you, you were not the kind of person who led a monotonous life even when I knew you. So I want to know what, what it was about that particular message, which obviously is a fantastic message and a great reminder to, you know, do things for the first time and experience the joys of, you know, trying something new. But what was it, what was happening in your life at that time for it to suddenly speak to you in such yeah. a way? 
Yeah, I, I, I co-founded a venture fund. This was in 2000. And, you know, and I was leading the venture capitalist life. And I somehow felt very detached from that existence. Mm -hmm. And in that, I met people who were obviously very bright, but in my estimation were rather unidimensional. And there was nothing meaningful, nothing uh, sensible, if I can say that, or remotely intellectually stimulating for me to engage with that world. Maybe I was hanging out with the wrong crowd or meeting the wrong set of people, whatever. But that was my experience. And um, so I was feeling very detached from what I was doing. And I was in a state where I was struggling to find something meaningful that I could devote my talents, my energies, my passions towards. I didn't know specifically what I would devote whatever I had my capabilities and capacity towards. But I knew I had to do something different from what I was doing at that point. Mm. And it was that, I think, that, that that whole thing was catalyzed by my reading the advertisement. Yeah. 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 And just that, maybe just to flesh that out, I mean, that sort of, you know, moment of clarity where, you know, what is my life about? You know, do, does, it, does it really have to be this way? Did you have to walk away from that old life to embrace this new way of thinking or were you able yeah, to? Yeah, so what, yeah. what I did then was I um, redesigned my next phase, uh, which meant that I said, look, I, I want to do things that I enjoy doing. I want to do things because I want to, not because I have to. I don't want to be answerable to anybody. I also realized what my strengths were. I realized what my weaknesses were and therefore decided to do things that I could put myself to work using my strengths when where my weaknesses or my uh, disinterests wouldn't necessarily have to be uh, uh, put to work on, on, on any of those activities. And one of the important things was, I realized that when I said I get bored with monotony, I get bored with activities and tasks that need to be done, are necessary, but don't quite engage the mind. And therefore, and there's also a great deal of insecurity in, inside of me the insecurity of becoming, let's say, a piece of furniture and not being able to contribute to the newer emerging discourses um, on various topics around the world, that I will become an old fogey whose best recollections were from 1965, right? Uh, so I want to ensure that I have great um, learnings, contributions, uh, that I don't become 
uh, you know, a, a piece of interest only to archaeologists. So staying relevant was really important to you yes, and you yes. knowing what was going on. And how does that tie in? I mean, obviously, you know, we're slightly jumping around a bit, but, you know, you now, part of one of the things you do now is you mentor other founders of startups and, you know, people people who are maybe doing that journey that you did in your, you know, 20s or early 30s or whatever. I'm just curious to know how how do you see balancing you know always staying relevant and you know trying away from the monotony with actually needing some continuity and staying the course to actually achieve something great yeah so the good news is i have outsourced the that part of the entire effort to those who are more capable than i yeah. uh, i let them achieve greatness i realize that my job is to encourage them to the best of my abilities for them to achieve greatness. So for example, and therefore it's important to be, so I'm more than, you know, I'm, I like to think of myself not as a mentor, but as a tormentor in that I ask the right questions. Yeah. Because I believe that the, there, there, there are two things that we all grapple with. We don't know what questions to ask. Mm. And secondly, we are afraid of the answers. So what happens is we don't ask and we don't listen to whatever that response from within might be. Yeah. With the net result that we live our lives based on what we think are expectations from around us. And therefore we tune ourselves to operate in sync with those sets of uh, expectations. So one of the things I used to do when I used to teach, and I still raise these questions with all the entrepreneurs that I uh, work with or who come to me, is I ask them these two questions most certainly. One of them is, how much money would you pay to wear somebody else's name on your t-shirt? And the second question I or exercise I ask them to do is, what's your dream title in your dream company? And these are typically, you know, uh, students, right? Um, MBA students who are all hungry to become the next chairperson of uh, Goldman Sachs or managing partner of McKinsey and all that. Mm. Um, and then I ask them to turn that blank business card around and write again, their name, and below that, in the same number of words that they use to describe their dream title in their dream company, describe themselves. There is no company now, there's just you. So we use this image enhancing devices, these emotional crutches, socially induced crutches, to give ourselves an identity, not just for others, but the most most tragically to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that is a great learning of entrepreneurship. It's a journey into and within yourself. And that journey is what is transformative. Assuming you have the emotional intelligence, the emotional strength, the confidence, 
and the courage of conviction to be able to deal with the questions as well as the answers. Yeah. I hear you. And these are big questions. And I think when we ask ourselves those questions, um, you know, I, I don't know how often we actually get the answers we need because very often we probably get the answers we want to hear because the actual answer is very uncomfortable. So going back to your flight and this, this you know, aha moment that you had, tell me what happened straight after that. Were these the kind of questions you were asking yourself? No, 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 no not at all. Mm. Um, right after that, after I landed, you know, it was, I found that I had this sense of great unease, which existed prior to my seeing the um, ad, but it somehow got accelerated. And uh, so I found that I was in a state of great discomfort mentally mm. and unease because I just wasn't able to get myself to uh, be at peace till I was able to satisfactorily um, resolve them for myself. And that took me about, um, I would say, you know, uh, almost a year of rumination because I was still doing what I was doing. And then I had to think through um, what I really wanted to do, meaning whatever conclusions I came to, how serious were they? Or was it just because I was um, at unease and therefore clutching at straws? Mm and imagining that those were things that I wanted to do. So it's been about 17, 18 years now since I took those decisions and I'm at absolute peace. And um, so there is no confusion, there is no um, cognitive dissonance, there is no what is called uh, you know, dharma sankata yeah. inside. Yeah. Right. And because you know, this is this is what I want to do. And, um, you know, I, and therefore, um, you know, on multiple fronts, on multiple dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. And how was it received by the people around you? Because it's, it's wonderful that you found that inner clarity yeah. and the peace. But, you know, often it's like the hero's journey, you know, when the hero comes yeah. back. Uh, people are like, oh, who are you? You know, we don't recognize yeah, yeah. you. Yeah, so, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I didn't have any challenges to overcome on that front, mm -hmm. right? I mean, because I had a certain, let's say, network, I had a certain set of relationships. So all of that was comfortable. And whatever I wanted to do um, was very well supported. So there was no uh, obstacle or challenge or difficulty that I faced. And what I also found interestingly, and there is this, uh, I guess, popular saying that the universe conspires to make something happen or work for you. Uh, you know, I don't lay much store in such, uh, let's say commentary, but in my case, if I were to phrase it, I would use these words that somehow things conspired yeah. to make make all of this happen and 
it is like you know the definition of um, luck you know when opportunity meets preparation mm-hmm. luck happens um, so it's that you know i had a set of uh, capabilities i had relationships i had multiple interests i had folks that i knew um and who were reaching out to me of their own volition um etc cetera, etc cetera. so i didn't really have to go out of my way to pursue or do anything um that i had wanted to do yeah. for example when i got into teaching it was just that you know couple of well a particular professor at business school knew me that uh, you know this was uh, at inciad in singapore and he just called me out of the blue and said hey uh, we're thinking of doing this um, set of workshops on business planning for entrepreneurs uh, would you be interested and i said yeah you of course you bet and that's how that journey began and, you know so lots of such things and the more important thing i'd say was because i was clear about what i would not do mm-hmm. i was able to say no to a lot of opportunities i won't call it opportunities but let's say chances that came my way um saying that look this is not something i want to do mm-hmm. right which a few people found strange but uh, you know that was what it was and in my yeah let's just one last point sure. you know um money was never my motivator even today uh it never was even when i i started off my career um i was never motivated by money so money for me was a derivative of the work that i delivered mm. and so i never planned my financials i never planned or never kept track of uh how much money i was making or not making things happened okay and i mean this in the best possible way um and uh, so very very uh strange that but that's the truth i just didn't plan any of it meaning my my uh material needs because they were never important to me even today i'm very comfortable if i can just sleep on the floor and what i'm i'm okay with that mm. this is not to say that i don't enjoy luxury i do but it's not something that drives me yeah yeah i hear you and and you said you know being very clear on what you didn't want you know so they also say the art of selection is through rejection and and did you kind of know that on a very cerebral cerebral intellectual level or did you learn to listen to your yeah it was both yeah. it was it was both right because i had spent time reflecting and ruminating uh the conviction was from within that there are some things i just don't want to do doesn't matter what's um on offer and these are decisions you make emotionally Mm. these are decisions you make from within i think the you don't intellectualize this you only rationalize it yeah saying hey you know this is me 
this is who I am. You know, those are all you know popular ways of rationalizing something. But you know, the, like I said earlier, the answer is within. And it's that ability to actually listen to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that, that happens. Yeah. You see, and that happens if you are silent. Okay, and just be in a state of calm and keep listening and not and one of the things i've learned is not to take the first response as the truth and keep asking you know why why not why do i like it why why do i enjoy doing something why don't i enjoy it is it because of the task itself is it because of the environment is it because of the others who I might have to work with? Is it because of the challenges? Is it because of some other material uh, uh, constraints? What is it, right? So you go through this process and then you come to the point where you say, yeah, I mean, I, can, I cannot dig any deeper than what I have done to find the reason that I have reached this conclusion. And this is something I also encourage a lot of entrepreneurs to do. Um, so what I call is the, if so, why so? If not, why not? Yeah. Exercise, right? What do you think will happen if you run out of money? Right, that's a standard question for an entrepreneur struggling to raise funds. Yeah. Right, so, why, why not something else? Why not? Why only this path? Right? So it's through that process of Q&A, and most often it's best done with yourself, right? That you uh, kind of arrive at a answer that you're most comfortable with. It may not save the company, but it'll certainly save you. Mm. And uh, the other thing is the idea about seeing yourself as distinct from the surroundings, from um, any other entity, any other person is critical. Because my belief is we come into this world alone, we will exit this world alone. We Each of us has our own journey to uh, experience. Along the way, we may meet some people who join us for a few minutes. Somebody may join us for a few years, a few days, whatever. It doesn't matter. But none of them, repeat, none of them can walk in my shoes. Mm -hmm. They think they understand. They don't. They cannot because they're not experienced the same uh, environment the same mental, emotional, intellectual, physical conditions that I have experienced. So my thoughts, my ideas, my decisions, my desires are mine. And everybody else can at best sympathize, empathize, and feel for my condition, good or bad, but they cannot be me. And it is that 
realization that makes you want to do things that are deep inside you, not because of anybody or anything external to you. And therefore the journey that each one of us is on is a journey that we script. It is our script, it's our movie. We are the producers, directors, actors, writers, the sound people, the light people, and the post-production, all of that. Everybody else is just a audience member, yeah. give or take. Somebody sits in the cheap seats, somebody sits in the luxury seats. You know, somebody's close to you, somebody's far away, but end of the day, it's 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 that's basically what it is. Here's here's my approach. I adopt what I call the partition theory. What that means is in my head, there are multiple boxes. In each of those boxes, there is a version of me that is there. Yeah. Outside of those boxes, there is a conductor who knows what's there in all these boxes. And so what are these boxes, right? And a version of me. So each one of us performs different roles, different responsibilities, different, we have to demonstrate different emotions, different capabilities, uh, different uh, means of, of uh, outreach, different feelings at different points in time based on our multiple relationships that we all have. The problem occurs when we take the contents of box A and merge it into contents of box B. And I believe that you'll be the best that you can be when you're performing that particular version of yourself to the best of your abilities at that point in time, at that, within that context, with that set of people. For example, if I'm at home and I've had a, let's say, a argument with my wife or my son, whoever else, I can't take that same mental state because at work, I'm a different version of myself mm. and vice versa, okay? And this holds for everything, all the interactions, all the relationships. You understand what I'm saying? I do. So, so what I'm hearing from that is that, you know, your ability to be present to the environment you're in and not, like, you know, carry with you whatever yeah. happened in the other place, you know, whether it was good or bad, but actually just be completely what you need to be yeah. in that moment with the people you're with. So what, what practices did you implement in your life that helped you to become that very you know, compartmentalize, present human yeah. being. You know, I think, uh, uh, you know, I have not used any practices, okay? I've just read a lot and ruminated a lot. And um, I think even today, uh, what helps me the most is my ability to talk to myself. And uh, so even today in the bathroom, every morning I look at myself in the mirror and I talk to myself in the most honest, candid way I can 
because I'm at my most naked at that point. Um, and, you know, and the whole point is that if I'm not being able to be honest with myself, then nothing else matters. Right. Yeah. And it's that process that is, uh, has helped me. Uh, for example, you know, as a kid, uh, I used to stammer a lot. Right. I had a very bad stammer. And, you know, I would feel really terrible. And so I would just keep quiet and not um, sort of uh, be talkative, of course, but I would be very inhibited. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so therefore, uh, my mom would keep pushing me, you know, to go on stage and get over that fear and all of that. So I went through some harrowing experiences. and But, you know, I realized that it was that somehow I always knew far more than others around me on most topics. And that gave me the confidence. And I, yeah, so I would say that's, that's if, if you were to call it a practice, uh, you could categorize it as such. But, you know, that's a fancy term, but uh, not applicable to me at all. So asking yourself some of those tough questions, but then taking the time to actually wait for the answers to emerge. That's right. Glossing over. So how did you take that self-knowledge and that particular way of thinking and being into your work? I mean, you talked a little bit about... Yeah. So I think one of the things I do is, um, like I said, um, generally people call me a tormentor because... I like to state things as I see them. So when I get into it, let's say any mentoring session with uh, an entrepreneur, I lay out the ground rules. The ground rules is look, we both have to be brutally honest, number one. Number two, whatever I say is intended for your benefit. Mm. How you respond is your choice. You do not have to listen to me. You do what you want, but you have a responsibility to consider my decision. Whatever decision you take is yours. Don't outsource the blame or the credit to me. Mm. And I will call out. Huh? And I and if you think you're going to shrivel up and become an emotional wreck, I'm the wrong person for you. Mm. Right? Learn to deal with it. So you are the ground rules. So if you agree, let's go. Yes. Right. So the point is, you need. So therefore, those who come to me are those who I meet, and many of them have been women who break down mm. because they think I'm very rude, I'm insensitive, I'm inconsiderate, I lack empathy. So I said, you can imagine whatever you want. But these are the ground rules, and I'm playing by the rules. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it's that kind of thing. So um, there is no point in wasting somebody else's time, and more importantly, wasting your own time in dancing around and shadow boxing. Right. So that's that's my view on a lot of things. What's the what's the kind of response when you actually do call them out and you do ask these very yeah, so a lot of yeah so a lot of people actually in fact I've had situations 
where there were tears welling in the eyes of this woman. And she abruptly got up and walked away. She called me a, a week later or maybe 10 days later, thanking me, right? Saying, look, you know, I, you forced me to rethink and I agree with what you, what you said. It's illogical. It's foolish. Why would you want earth become right? Because there's no guarantee of anything. There's no stability. There's no predictability. Why on earth would you do that? So you do it only because you want to do it, not because it's a cool thing to do. Right? So unless you have reached that conclusion, this is the wrong thing for you. Whoa. Yeah. 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 And that takes real guts to actually tell somebody, you know what? No, I'm very because happy doing that. <laughs> because most mentors, and I know you're not one of them, would probably feel, okay, now this is my my job is to really support this person and you know help them to rise. I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not the uh, the 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 touchy feely type, meaning I'm there for someone who needs it, and I will go out of my way to help them. But it has to come from them. Yeah. I'm not going to force myself onto anybody. I'm not going to... Um, I have actually, you know, cried along with an entrepreneur. There have been such times as well, mm. right? Because I genuinely felt for not just the person, but the environment in which uh, he was in. But... At the same time, I can be very ruthless in calling out things because they need to be called out. Yeah. Someone has to say the emperor doesn't have clothes. So when you say, you know what, all this is great, you're doing a wonderful job, but I don't think you're gonna go anywhere. I don't think you're gonna raise money. I don't think you're ever going to get customers, right? So stop conning yourself, get the hell out. No, that doesn't mean I'm right. It's just that I'm speaking my mind. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think the most important thing is the ability to speak your mind and have the person hearing it, hear it for what it's worth. It takes maturity to accept, to hear, to listen. So it requires emotional maturity. Yeah. It requires intellectual capacity. Okay, to be able to handle it. Yes. Right? I'm not the touchy-feely type. So yeah. anyone who comes to me feeling sorry for themselves, you know, I'm the wrong person to talk to. Yeah, yeah. Right? If You know, it's that old saying, right? If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Hmm. That's basically it. Yes. And speaking of kitchen and women, uh, you and I had this conversation not so long ago about you know, my theory that actually having a child, having a baby is possibly one of the greatest entrepreneurship projects there is in life. Uh, and yet, um, many women seem to not think about it that way. And, you know, they they beat themselves up when they find they're not able to cope with yeah. having a child and, you know, continuing to work in the way yeah. that you're doing before the baby. Yeah. Have you come across this? Yeah. First and foremost, there is, there is this 
glorification of the woman who battles all odds and works 24/7 while she's going through um you know her pregnancy which is i think perhaps the single most um life changing event for a woman mm. and uh, and there is this um deification and glorification and therefore there is this desire amongst a lot of women because of pressures that are imposed on them implicitly or otherwise of their expectations as a working mother so i think a woman needs to be celebrated for going through that process and two should be encouraged to not feel like she, like her self esteem has been adversely impacted because she isn't working well okay i think i think that's a very moot point that she to say she isn't working is a complete myth because she's working solidly hard to keep not solidly life. hard is way beyond that yeah to keep this little human alive and well and you know absolutely uh, thriving so i think you know sorry i'm sort of just getting on my soapbox a little bit here but it really makes me so angry when people assume that just because somebody's taking a career break to be a mother that they've not been working right no it women should work fully supported women should continue to work under all circumstances is not something that i support they should be free to decide and when i say free to decide must be free from societal pressures as well it is not just an individual because you know not everybody is mentally or emotionally strong to handle societal pressures right and therefore you feel that you're not worth it if you've taken a break and uh, you know there are exceptions to every rule that is the individual's choice but my view is this and i agree with you i think and i think the language around it needs to probably change you know to call it yeah. work is a bit bit of a misnomer maybe call it paid employment you know which is yeah. the difference between doing all this caring for no money versus being paid to do a job yeah. so it's 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 how we we frame the question in the first place mm. okay because one is a job the other is a serious responsibility of life yeah okay? they're two different things so if you frame it as a job then you say hey you know uh, then the argument is a pure economic argument it yes. is not an economic argument because where this belief system has emerged from is from the world of feminism that has dis- has wanted to dismantle quote unquote patriarchy and um the role of women in the workforce that is the background context within which this issue is framed yes which in my mind is the incorrect framing of this particular issue i agree and and this conversation could go on a lot longer than we intended but i think just maybe to to finish that thought is that what what would be nice is if employers you know maybe they are you know founders of startup companies don't um look at somebody who's got a gap in their cv and then 
demote them for that reason. Instead, you know, tap into what what did they learn as a result of being at home and looking after a baby? Because I can tell you, you know, as a mother myself, that you learn some amazing skills that no job would ever teach you. So yeah. I think it's a language around it changes if people's yeah, yeah. attitude to no, women. No doubt. We probably won't have this slight, you know, um, misunderstanding and what, you know, what women need and what women want. Anyway, moving on from that. So I want to ask you about your latest initiative, which I find really fascinating and is probably much needed. Can you talk about NICE, please? Yeah, okay. <laughs> that was a very polite way to ask the question. Can you talk about <laughs> NICE, please? Uh, so NICE stands for Network of Indian Cultural Enterprises. Yeah. And this is a not-for-profit um, that began operations in 2020. I'm the co-founder. Uh, the founder is a friend of mine. Um, his name is uh, Hari Kiran. Um, and what we felt was, you know, our, India's greatest asset has been its cultural heritage practices, traditions, um, whether intangible or tangible. And uh, we've worked for long from a preservation and protection lens, that is to protect and preserve, you know, the, uh, the, the, the arts, the crafts, um, the food traditions and so on. Yeah. But we've never actively spent time in promoting it. Which when you means, say we, you mean India as a as country? As a country, as yeah. a country yeah. and multiple people, uh, you know. Yeah. And therefore, uh, to, to promote it. When you say promote it, it means deriving economic value out of it, yeah. uh, which creates wealth, which generates livelihoods, and uh, ultimately will lead to a brand India. Because countries are known by, their, by the... Uh, branded products, services, or experiences that they offer to people around the world. You know, Levi's and McDonald's and Starbucks is a classic uh, American situation. Um, we have Italian Ferraris and, uh, you know, design, you know, Milan Fashion Week, for example, or French cuisine and wines. Um, you know, these are all branded stuff. And each one of us has had the uh, experience of uh, seeing their impact on the countries of their origin. But in India, we've never thought about it that way. So here at NICE, the goal is to create an army of cultural entrepreneurs. That is those who sit at the interface between the supply side, that is the artisans, the craftspeople, the food and beverage uh, traditions, uh, the tourism folks, and so on, and the market, the user, the design, the intellectual property, the digital means of accessing uh, the markets and users and all of that. And the entrepreneur is the person who's going to build these exciting branded companies that deliver these products and services and experiences. So our goal is to enable that. We do it through, so we are a not-for-profit, like I said, through uh, five uh, activities. Namely, we run programs on workshops, mentoring clinics, business plan competitions, funding opportunities for entrepreneurs. Then we partner with investors of all kinds. Then we have other kinds of partners who are academic uh, institutions, 
industry organizations and so on. We also do work on policy and research, right? So these are the five areas that we work in. And the goal is to nurture and create this army of cultural entrepreneurs uh, because um, you know entrepreneurship is not, nothing if it is not about change. Yeah. And changing mindsets, changing business models, all of that is what we hope to be able to achieve. Yeah, sounds like um, a really needed and worthwhile sort of add-on to what you already do. But um, just to clarify, so it's your organization that's not-for-profit, but the individual businesses, of course. Exactly, exactly. So we are a not-for-profit organization that is creating these, or rather enabling the for-profit businesses to emerge. Yes. And and do you how do you pick the ones you're actually going to mentor and, you know, help? Yeah. So there's a process, uh, you know, they apply. Um, so we've got a process of curation and then we match them with uh, mentors who uh, you know, come with a lot of experience and expertise. And, you know, and then there's a mentoring program that they go through. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of one program. Then there is an angel funding program where they pitch two interested angels who uh, will potentially invest in these companies. Um, there's a business plan competition, et cetera. So, you know, each is a designed program. And uh, yeah, so we're just two years old. So we have a lot of learning to do as well. Still a toddler. <laughs> yes, yes. Long way Ter- to go. <laughs> terrible tools, by the way. <laughs> well, congratulations. And I had Thank a you. look at your website and it looks, you know, really, really interesting. And Thank you. Uh, so, um, so look, I'm conscious that I've taken up more time than I said I would. So um, I want to kind of just ask a couple of last couple of questions, Sanjay. So, you know, I want to ask you in terms of a fulfilled life, you know, everyone has their own notion. And I loved you talked about this movie, you know, your own life as a movie and you're the, you're the person who directs it, you act in it, etc. And when you made this mental mind movie, did you have a vision of what your fulfilled ideal no. life would look like? No. 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 It's it's uh, each day is a is a new scene, right? So all you know is that there are some scenes and scripts you don't like, and some you know a priori, some you know through experience, right? But you go through it because directionally you know where you want to go, meaning you want to do things that engage you, that keep you emotionally, intellectually aligned. Um, so it's like saying I'll go from Bangalore to Mumbai. Okay, how will I travel? Who will my co-passengers be? I don't know. I don't care. Uh, but I think I'm going in that direction. I may land up in Mumbai. I may overshoot Mumbai and land up in the Arabian Sea. Uh, maybe if I land in the sea, maybe I'll swim across to uh, the Middle East. Who knows? I don't know. So it's 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 that kind <laughs> yeah, of thinking. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so do you have a vision of what that des- destination looks no. like? No, I don't have a vision. Well, I think that will be too compartmentalizing, if I can coin that word, yeah. an activity. You know, it's like it's like you know one of those exercises you give to kids and when they join work how do you see yourself in five years nobody knows so they'll say something that sounds cool and trendy and the hr person gets excited and says yes this person has passion this person has desire i think is ceo material right so 
that kind of stuff uh, I'm a little cynical about. And as you kind of made out in this conversation, uh, I am a cynic in general. <laughs> so because I, I, I'd like to keep it as uh, uh, honest as possible. Keep it real. Okay. And my final question to you is, you know, we've been through a pandemic, which has obviously been, you know, a globally um, disruptive thing that's happened. What what have you noticed has changed about people's way of approaching entrepreneurship, if anything? Has anything changed uh, as a result of that? Yeah, I think the current generation of entrepreneurs have are, are less resilient than people of our generation. And therefore, they get impacted, affected far more than we ever did. Because I think their, their um, threshold or their tolerance for discomfort is far lower. Yet, clearly the pandemic was severe, uh, had a severe impact. Uh, people had and continue to have physical and uh, mental health challenges. I am not demeaning any of that. All I'm saying is that I've seen the youngsters being far more affected than folks of our vintage. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe we were lucky that we didn't have social media. We didn't have exactly, exactly. You know, one of the big causes, yeah, totally. One of the big causes of depression in young girls around the world is yeah. social media. <clears throat> yeah, there's so much of uh, terrible stuff that happens. I also think you know, just my observation is that it, it, a lot more people are going into entrepreneurship because it seems really cool. Yeah, a really sort exactly. of interesting way. Yeah. Of, you know, progressing your career without maybe completely understanding the risks. Totally. You know, it's, I'm always reminded of two wonderful statements by two very um, almost philosophical people. One was Mike Tyson, who said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and, yeah. and the other being Bruce Lee, who said, walls, you know, when you practice your martial arts and break bricks and walls and all of that. Uh, he said, remember, walls don't hit back. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's important <laughs> to keep that reality check in mind. That's a great note to end on, you know, and, and I, I want to point out about your book, which unfortunately is only available in India, you know, Startup Month. It's available, yeah, it's, it's PDF, right? You can, you can get, grab the PDF, it's free. I, I think it's fantastic and very lighthearted yet, you know, we've got some really great, profound messages for entrepreneurs and I would encourage anyone who can grab, you know, it, a copy, whether it's on an on a e-book or is it, is it paperback as well or is it purely e-book? Uh, yeah, it's an ebook. Yeah, it's an ebook. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it makes you know the whole startup journey a lot more engaging and interesting to to look at it in that perspective. Sanjay, thank you so much for thank your you. time and for your wisdom, however cynical it may be. <laughs> I think thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, much needed in our world where you know maybe people are trying to be too soft, softly, softly. So I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.